and this is Rob and Steve here for another riveting episode of the N64U podcast. Coming at you with high-end amateur reviews and scoring of all your favorite and unknown N64 titles. Today in episode 4, we will be reviewing one of N64's relatively unknown titles, Sin and Punishment. That is right, Steven. Sin and Punishment was released in 2001 in Japan only, never made it to the States, co-developed by Treasure and Nintendo. You know, this particular game never being released in uh, the United States makes me sort of wonder, in a way, how uh, it's it, it really got on the radar for a lot of people here in the United States. This game really had a cult following. Uh, it, it obviously wasn't a part of the the mainstream in the United States because it wasn't released here. So a lot of import gamers, as well as people who emulate N64 games who are looking for new games, you know, everyone's played Super Mario 64 a thousand times. Everyone's played Ocarina of Time a thousand times. So, you know, the, you, you eventually need to look for a new game. And Sin and Punishment is something that was never released here. And, and a lot of people started to realize that, hey, like, they really like this game. And it eventually became big enough where... People were demanding that it got released on the Wii, U, the, uh, sorry, the Wii Virtual Console when they started offering N64 games, and it was eventually, eventually released to a wider audience. It's, it's crazy to me because uh, I believe it came in around 2007 uh, when they released it on the Virtual Console, and what I find fascinating is that in between its release date in, in 01 to 07, I... I can't imagine there being a wide variety of emulator options out there. So you got to imagine some of the popularity had to have originated from people buying this game to some degree, like imported from Japan. And I think, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, 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 you know, I think that you're really only going to find niche gamers that are going to commit to, to getting into a game like that. And, you know, it must really speak very highly of this game if in between those years in the early 2000s that they were able to gain that level of popularity without a um, wide availability to the general population. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I had never heard of this game until I started really getting into collecting games more. And I read through a painful amount of top 50, top 25, top 100 N64 game lists. And Sin and Punishment was always on there uh, somewhere. And I was like, well, what the heck is this? And then that's when I got learning about it and realized the reputation it had. Sin and Punishment's like the like Tom Waits of video games where only like artists and intense gamers <laughs> love love playing it you know maybe maybe not just for your maybe not your general that. market game but uh your hardcore gamers are gonna love this one yeah that's great <laughs> but the question is is it uh is it early tom waits or late tom waits and i guess that's what we're gonna find out here and and i would argue it's it's definitely gonna be on the early side uh, <laughs> i find this particular game to be as a general audience uh player not not a particularly hardcore gamer but i do find at times this game could be a little bit of a, a difficult play in terms of enjoying it yeah you're if you're looking for a casual play you're not going to like this game if you're looking for a new game that you've never heard of or uh want a, a nice challenge with your game then you might really like this one so i get the feeling that depending on which camp you fall in 
it's going to widely influence how you feel about this game. I couldn't agree more. I really, I really believe if uh, this this is a game definitely made more for the niche niche group, um, not your everyday gamer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, uh, Steve, you ready to get into it? All right. So uh, as we get into this, I'll give you a quick reminder of the categories in which we score this game on and review it on. Uh, first up is mechanics, which is how the game is structured. Second is gameplay, how the game plays through that existing structure. Third category is difficulty, how difficult the game actually is. Does it really fit uh, what you're looking to play on any given day? Story, how much of a quality story are we looking at here? Sound design, another category. Generally, how good is the background music and how are the sound effects within the game? Visual presentation, which of course is how the game looks and and how the characters and enemies look as well. And then lastly, we have modern day appeal, which how good is this game today? Does it hold up? Do you want to play it now? Excellent. Excellent, Stephen. Thank you for the reminder. Uh, Well... I'll get started then. Let's let's get into some mechanics, huh? Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. This game is a rail shooter, which if you haven't heard of the term, it is basically I have not actually. I think this was a new term to me, but in the definition of this game, it is so aptly fitting for how this game plays. Basically, if if you haven't played a a rail shooter before, the game that I can use that you might likely know is Star Fox 64. It's a type of game where you're moving forward and all you really do is move to the left or the right or up and down as the game kind of drags you along. For some reason, I never depicted Star Fox 64 as a rail shooter. For some reason, it wasn't immediately, uh, didn't immediately jump out to me. The only game that I could ever think of that would be a quote unquote rail shooter without the shooting, unless you consider camera shooting, would be like Pokemon Snap. That's what I had always somehow related it to. Yeah, and and you know, uh, Pokemon Snap's obviously not a, a shooter unless you count throwing stink balls at Gyarados. But it's how can you not? <laughs> you got it. He's such an asshole. He deserves it. But but yes, uh, it's considered a, a rail shooter. Although this one's a little bit different. And I got to say, I've never played anything like this game. Uh, your your character instead of flying on a ship or sailing on a pokey raft you're running forward so your character kind of automatically runs forward and then you, what you control is the uh dodging your enemies and obstacles and uh shooting them so it's it and it has these very uh, arcadey vibes I guess. Yeah, I I would definitely say mechanically, this game without a doubt has an arcade feel through and through. You know, it keeps you on track in terms of continuously moving you forward, similar to like a House of the Dead type game, always moving forward. And you're basically uh, scanning the screen left to right, uh, making sure you're being able to shoot any any oncoming enemy. Um, In some sense to me, mechanically, the way this game moved, it almost felt like a Galaga game at times. Um, enemies are always coming in from the top or in in the fore, uh, in the background, coming at you in the uh, front of the screen. Uh, definitely had that kind of feel to me. Yeah, and and on top of the arcade vibes, you get continues. Yeah, you get like seven or so continues, and and once you're out, this is the kicker. It's game over, and you need to start over from the beginning. 
I find the continue feature actually to be a really great indicator for um, for an arcade style game. You are right. You really did only see that in that car- arcade era. Um, and another another element of mechanically of this game that uh, kind of keeps it in the wheelhouse of an arcade style game is the time mechanism. You really only see that counting down clock um, in terms of like each particular level. You have to basically collect uh, different time bonuses to continue moving forward as well. And you really only see that in racing games and other arcade style games. I think of that time. That's true. It's 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 really interesting how this game really captures the the arcade atmosphere in almost every way and yet it's not a port from an arcade game it's made directly for the n64 so that's that's definitely interesting i I wonder if it was one of those like adventurous we're going to create the a different style of at-home game kind of keep it in the reality of playing out out in public with your friends at an arcade yeah and regardless of how anyone feels about this game it it definitely achieved that arcade feel and kind of created a game that is kind of unlike anything that really existed at the time and i can't say that i've played much of anything like it yeah i I agree i don't think i don't think i've seen a whole hell of a lot uh out there that sort of match this in terms of uh game setup and, and mechanics so uh getting into our next category gameplay i actually think this was a really really big category uh here for this particular game uh Big for me, not so much in a positive light. I actually think overall, uh, the gameplay in this game was was a little bit difficult for me to enjoy. I tend to find those continuous shooter games without any nonstop with nonstop action uh, to be a little draining and uh, sort of loses my attention after a little while. Oh, Stephen, I I so disagree. I was from the beginning of this game. I was just like absolutely smitten by how out- outrageously ridiculous the action is. You're just being shot by everything. Everything shoots you. You know, you're all the just time. Un- it's constant. <laughs> it's like for me, it's like a little bit daunting to get into a game like that where it's just nonstop shooting. You can't rest for two seconds. You can't even fart for a minute in between shots. Well, you you got to pause before the fart. Always. That's 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 what I learned when I was playing. I do think um, <laughs> building a game like this, though, uh, it definitely targets a specific audience. For me, I, I just don't have the capability. I, I like to kind of peruse in a lot of my games. I like to take my time. I don't like to be constrained to a clock in a lot of fashion, uh, in a lot of fighting games for myself. Um, I find having that clock almost like puts an un, unneeded pressure on an overall uh, attack or fighting game. That's a good point, Steve. We're getting older, you know, our blood pressure's getting higher, our hearts aren't working the way they used to. I need a low-risk game, Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, th- this is a this is a high-risk game for someone in our age bracket. So, if you uh, if you have uh, if you're weak of heart, I I can't say that I can recommend this one in good faith. That's what my lawyers are saying <laughs> from the other side of the room. Uh I do have uh one positive about the gameplay. Um that I found one of the things that I did like about the overall gameplay was some of the classic, uh, fighting story game, uh, 
scenes. Every single fighting game, like I think a Streets of Rage in particular, you inevitably come up to like an elevator scene where you're going either up or down an elevator and then just waves and waves and waves of enemies are pouring down upon you until eventually you exit the elevator because you killed them all. I do like how they incorporated features like that to give it a little bit of a classic uh, feel. They they definitely did a great job at, and I don't know if this falls into the the visual section, but no, I guess it does fall into gameplay. The level design is is friggin' awesome. I think it's it's really um, a strong point of this game in the sense that I would say that's true. They put a lot of variety into the way that the levels are structured. So, like you said, that you know, the, yeah, the 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 classic going up the elevator and you know they got all these all these strange different environments that aren't just the same kind of rip off of the last level so it, at least it 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 keeps you uh wanting to to play and and push onward just to see what happens next and i got to say one of the one of the biggest talking points of the gameplay of sin and punishment i think is the control scheme What's interesting is that the uh, the developers at Treasure actually created this game around the design of the N64 controller, and they utilized the D-pad in this game, which is interesting because when you think of N64 games, you think of basically how useless the D-pad is. It's it's not really utilized in really any N64 games that I can think of at the moment. I don't think there is really, really any games out there that have that pad, which would make this being one of the very few, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think Mischief Makers might be one, which is another. I think that was also developed by Treasure. So I think that they were kind of making that, that their thing, was making the D-pad useful. So basically, you use the D-pad. If you're righty, you use the D-pad with your left hand and... You use the joystick with your right, and they also have a left-handed mode, which is pretty interesting, where you use the C buttons to strafe, and then you put your left hand on the analog. That's probably a huge component why this is so popular uh, in the more intense gaming community. Um I could see that being a big draw, just having a different style of game uh, to physically, like, play on the and it's the only one that actually functionally uses the n64 as it was truly designed yeah the the problem is uh both of us played this game on the switch and i guess one thing we didn't mention is one of the main reasons we're talking about this game is because it is available on the nintendo switch online store accessible to anyone so we can really put it to the test to see how good it actually is right exactly so a, a lot of people are able to play this game if they are willing to fork over the 50 bones to to get the expansion membership a little steep for that few amount of games it's a a little steep but we both did it we're we're the suckers nintendo wins they'll take our money any day i guess (laughs) yep i i i find it um to be a little interesting though that this game, one of its biggest features originally was this controller design, which is completely obsolete in the recreated versions of this, whether it be on the Wii uh, back in 07 or in being on the Switch currently. Um, I wonder if it still plays how these developers really intended it to, to play. 
Yeah, I I noticed pretty quickly, and I don't know if you feel the same way that a modern controller, like I was using the Switch Pro controller, I I I just don't feel like the game was really meant to be played on anything other than an N sixty four controller. I, I I feel like for those who have purchased the the Bluetooth N sixty four controller that Nintendo just put out. I'd say you got to try this game out because it it really does feel like it's it's made for that game, and it probably does better justice to the game playing it that way. Yeah, and and another thing too that I noticed because I actually I didn't realize you could use the D pad for strafing, so I was using the um, the left and right face buttons. I used those to strafe, and I learned that in certain scenarios. Nintendo Switch Online was was messing up the mapping, so it would switch A and X. So all of a sudden, you have to use Y and X to strafe instead of Y and A, and it would just kind of randomly switch up. It would seem it's almost like an unnatural feel to have that kind of button layout for that game. Yeah, it it would it and it would just happen randomly, and you just have to deal with it. And then by the time I was done playing the game, I realized that I should have just been strafing with the D pad the whole time. So that that's on me, but. I can't really blame the game for that because it's really an issue with the Switch and, and not the game. And how it's been ported over. Right. And, and I, I guess the last thing that I would say about the gameplay is I, I'd love to mention the boss design. You know, when you're, when you're fighting bosses, and, and I, I'm not speaking of the actual um, you know, visual look of the bosses, but I mean the actual boss fights are super interesting. Some of them are pretty difficult to understand the patterns. Did you play the one where you're like chasing after the the creature that stole your your teammate, your party member, I forget what her name is. Oh yeah. That you're just like running down the hall, you're trying to avoid mines, you're trying to avoid the fire the enemy firing at you, you're jumping, rolling and shooting back at it. It's just like my goodness, it was it was just painfully fun. <laughs> See, I actually, I, I don't know. It didn't really do it for me, quite honestly. Like, I feel truthfully that I like a game where it's more based in defeating the boss in terms of how you attack the boss rather than the obstacle being um, missing the attacks given to you from the boss, if that sort of makes sense. Like, in a way, right. I feel like you're just rapidly shooting at the boss no differently than you are shooting at any other enemy, and that the challenge more so lies in the way the boss shoots at you and avoiding uh, hazards in the field, um, which to me was just a far less enjoyable experience. Yeah, that's, that is true. I, I, I get your point. It's, the the shooting of the boss is is hardly important. It's really the it's like secondary ultimately to everything else they put in front of you. Which which to me was a little bit less fun. I don't know. I'm I like having a variety of ways to attack something uh, rather than be limited to just the same shot. Right. Yeah. It's 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 definitely a, a different take on it. <laughs> One thing I read is someone someone said playing this game is like if if you're going to be good at this game, you have to be good at uh, patting your head and rubbing your belly at the same time. It's just that is a very apt uh, analogy. Like, I think that is so true with this particular game. And I think that is sort of kind of their goal with even how they designed the controllers for the N64, if you think about it. 
I uh, I bring up the controller thing, honestly, though, because I do think it kind of does speak to the pat your head and rub your tummy at the same time. Like, you are doing two inherently different actions on the controller, so I can see how that can be difficult uh, on its original um, system. Yeah, it's it. there's a steep difficulty curve, I think, with learning the controls of this game. And I, yeah, I highly recommend, they have a practice feature with the game. I, I recommend spending some time with that. Because I found myself, I'm like trying to learn and become comfortable with the controls, but the game gets harder faster than I'm able to learn the controls. So all of a sudden I'm like, my fingers are getting tied together trying to play some of these boss fights and the game is just getting real, real difficult. That actually is a great segue uh, for us to get into the difficulty element of this game. Um which is pretty important to this type of fighting game. And I do think uh, some of its difficulty originates in just the mechanics of of what they presented in the game. Like, I think one uh, important difficulty element is the time feature again. Um, sometimes I think in, in a particular level, you can sort of gauge the difficulty of that level by how frequently they give you the time bonuses to sort of keep yourself alive in any given segment, segment of this of this game. That's a good point. I found myself far too frequently running out of time. And then when the time runs out, your heart's or your, your life meter starts to drain slowly. And it's like so, sometimes the, what they expect you to complete in the amount of time they give you is, is unrealistic. I, I definitely agree with that. And I think that's where the difficulty of that mechanism really like stands out for me. Like I think it, it, it adds a, almost an unnecessary difficulty to the game in a way. It's true because a lot of the boss fights require very specific strategies to beat them. And if you don't figure out the strategy, you're just running out the clock trying to figure it out. And then you, your life meter will start to decrease as your time runs out. And then all of a sudden you're dead and you fight the boss again and you still can't figure out what the pattern is and you're dying again. So that that definitely can become frustrating. I find that element to be very off-putting. If I'm defeated by a boss relatively uh, handily purely because of a time runout situation, um, it's, a big, it's a big detractor in uh, wanting to continue to play the game. Yeah, and... Yeah, it, the game is definitely aimed for people who want to have a challenge, and that is very in line with the type of games that Treasure put out. You know, on, on the Sega Genesis, they put out a ton of games like this that were high octane, like you know, say Gunstar Heroes, one of their flagship games. They they are they never shy away from a difficult game, and I actually read a a pretty funny story about the difficulty of this game there was this guy uh hitoshi yamagami who was the nintendo director so this game was co-developed by treasure and nintendo but it, by the sounds of it it really was mostly developed by treasure and nintendo you know kind of oversaw it a little bit so this guy from nintendo they got the hands on it last minute probably right so uh, Yamagami is playing an early version of this game and he's like, guys, this is way too hard. And Treasure responded, this is ridiculous, 
They responded by saying that maybe Yamagami shouldn't be overseeing this project if he's not good enough to play the game. That's a pretty ballsy statement to say to someone that high up at Nintendo. So, so brutal. So they, they basically argued about it for like a year and eventually the game difficulty was actually reduced. So the game was actually supposed to be harder than it ended up being. Which is a little wild because I do think overall this game, part of why I think it speaks to hardcore gamers is because of that difficulty level, which also it sounds like as a developer, that's really what their intent was with much of what they put out. Right. And and what they did that was very smart is they they implemented uh, difficulty mode. So you can play easy, normal, or hard. So if you want a game that's a little bit easier, you can play easy mode. And if you want even more of a challenge and additional content, you can play the hard mode. So I'd say that's kind of, for me, the saving grace of the difficulty of this game is that you can kind of tailor it to your, um, you know, what you're looking to get out of it. Yeah, I, uh, for me, I, I don't know. I do think at times it was just overall too hard of a game, uh, despite the ability to adjust. Um, it's not my, it's not a game I'm naturally good at anyway. It's like I said, it's, it's a little bit too much consistent movement, uh, no let up in between. And I think that type of challenge for me is a little bit more difficult to sort of keep an interest in. I get I can't focus on any one given element. It moves too fast. Uh, so for me, that the difficulty lies uh, in, in the design of the game as a whole, uh, whether it be the mechanism of the time or just how the game moves forward by being on that set track. Uh, a little bit too difficult uh, for my taste in the type of game that I would like to casually play. Yeah, too much, too much head patting and belly rubbing. Definitely, which I'm, I'm just against doing in the first place. You know, you know, Stephen, uh, the kids on the internet would say that you should probably just get good. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I even knew what that meant. <laughs> yeah, it's it's what they're it's what it's what the kids say when you when you're not good at a video game. Get good. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, our next category, uh, if we if you want to get into it, Rob, is is the story of the game. I'd love to. Um, I'll let you kick this one off. What were your thoughts on the story here? So. My opinion of this game is it has the best story that I could never understand. I could not agree. Uh, I would not say I would not say best for me. However, the inability to understand this game was real on my end. I just I could not make heads or tails of it. I, I felt like I turned it on and I started it and I started right in shooting things that I didn't understand I was shooting for. This might have been a game that the background was explained in the manual or something like that because... Oh, I could totally see that being the case. I was on the interwebs today trying to make heads or tails of this story. And if you'd, if you'd like, Stephen, I could tell you a, a quick story of what's actually going on in this game. It's actually really interesting. Interesting subjective, but okay. It's... <laughs> okay, so it's set in the distant future of 2007 and the planet is struggling with a famine so scientists basically say okay we got this famine let's develop a new genetically engineered species and basically they raise this species for food but these creatures end up mutating into rage monsters that are called the ruffians 
So when you hear the term the ruffians, that's what they're talking about are these like mutated rage monsters that were genetically engineered for food. Seems like a logical consequence of genetic engineering. Absolutely. They, they learn the hard way. And there's a group called the Armed Volunteers that their whole goal is to fight the ruffians, but they're also assholes. And they... I just love that they're called ruffians. Like, I don't know. That's just hilarious to me. Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty silly. But so, so the armed volunteers, they fight the ruffians, but they're assholes and they, uh, they're also dicks to the, the general population as well. So your squad in the game is trying to fight both the ruffians and the armed volunteers, kind of like a rebel group. And the, the rest of the story, you know, with that setup, it's still pretty hard to understand what's happening when you play the game. But reading through the whole story, I was like, wow. And this is why I rated the story so high, because, because I think that it is maybe the best story or one of the top three best stories I've ever read for a video game. But that's the problem is that I was reading it. I couldn't digest it from the game. Exactly. And I think that is why I think that is actually why for me, it makes this game storyline terrible. If you have to separately read online to figure out why this game is enjoyable or why this story is good, they probably failed to produce a good story. And for me, I out the gate felt confused and did not understand who the hell I was fighting half the time. And overall, I could not make heads or tails of the whole damn story. Well, one thing I will say is to to combat your point is that when you think back to, say, the Super Nintendo, because we all know how much I like talking about Super Nintendo. That's true. A lot of the time, you didn't get any story or very, you got very minimal story from the games that you played on the Super Nintendo unless you're playing some sort of RPG. But I think in a way that was a limitation of the console where there really isn't that limitation of console here on the N64. They give you more um, liberty as a developer, I think, to actually add uh, cutscenes uh, or, or cutscenes that make sense. I was hoping you weren't going to grasp on that point because that is definitely the uh, the weak point of my argument. But basically, what I was going to say is that for a Super Nintendo, they uh, a lot of the times the story and the character backgrounds were explained in in the manual themselves. So I, I didn't do any research before this to see if this game's story was actually present in the manual. But you're right, the N64 had a lot more capability to actually explain the story within the game itself without uh, requiring you to rely on on the menu manual itself. Exactly. And I think that's and I think that's the weakness in presenting this disjointed story that they did. They had the capabilities there to do it. And I think they just dropped the ball, quite frankly. And, you know, I I wonder. So. This is actually Treasure's first true 3D game. So I'm wondering how much, because they, they developed a ton of games on the Sega Genesis. So I'm wondering, and they kind of went from that to doing these N64 games. And I, I'm curious you know, how much... Bringing up that, it's, that it was a historically Sega Genesis company, actually, does not surprise me. That was a system I grew up playing quite a bit. And actually... 
visually how this game looks. It does actually kind of have that visual and sound feel of a Sega style game. Well, yeah, it's more mature, like way more mature than most of the uh, other N64 games were. And it, it definitely followed suit with the aggressive amount of things, at least for treasure games. A lot of their Genesis games are the same way where there's just a, an aggressive amount of stuff happening at once. So interesting point. And that brings us uh, to the next topic, which is something we've sort of touched on throughout um, speaking about this game, but uh, visual presentation. This to me on a game that I on the whole didn't really enjoy. I actually did find that their visual presentation to be very appealing, um, very appealing, especially even on the N64 uh, console, you know, they did find a way in this game to leverage the polygonal features and many of the character designs on the N64, and they were able to present it in a way that aged better than most games that you see on the N64. They sort of structured the characters uh, to have harsher um, transition points, and it sort of fit uh, a clean feel even in today's play. Yeah, the the environments looked awesome and immersive. I think that that is the one of the strongest points of this game is you're running through the game. It's like, wow, like everything looks great. The level design is super cool. The enemy and boss designs are just like really creative and imaginative. One element of, of the visual in the gameplay, you know, the, that game, it moves very quickly from, from section to section on the track that they've designed for you to follow. And it moves very, very fast. And I find typically in games that have that kind of quick progression can sometimes get lost in uh, a cluttered um, or a very uh, similar color design throughout where this game doesn't have that. I think this game does an excellent job of contrasting the background in the area where you're fighting versus the area where your character is standing and shooting from. Uh, that kind of breakup allowed me to follow this game uh, pretty fluidly despite it moving at a fast pace. Yeah, and just in general, it just feels fluid when you're playing. It's not janky. It's not, you're not suffering from frame rate issues or anything like that. It, it does feel really, really smooth. Definitely. It, it definitely is crisp, good color scheme, uh, and good design overall in, uh, in my book. Agree. Do you, uh, do you want to move on to sound design, Steven? Yeah. This category of sound design to me is the second strongest category next to visualization. I think the saving grace really for this game that makes it uh, worthwhile at all to play really is uh, the sound design and the visualizations. The sound here, I think, they picked a style of music to be played in the background of this game that fit the speed and tempo at which you want to play. Additionally, there are times where the battles do feel monotonous and the music does not. And I think that is a very important feature um, in this style of game because without that uh, enjoyable music, it would have spun, it would have caused me to uh, quit on this game quicker. Yeah, man, the music is awesome. It, it's kind of, there's not like a, a whole ton to say when it comes to visual presentation and sound design other than it's just awesome. It's, it's really well done. The music, uh, you know, they, they do a lot of melodic guitar solos. It's almost like uh, if you've played F-Zero for the uh, N64, it's, 
it, it it's a very similar vibe, like really fast paced blood pumping music. It's it, it's really like you said, next to the visual presentation, it's it's one of the most uh, shining aspects of this game. I think F Zero is a great comparison for this in terms of uh, sound design, especially. Um, one other thing that I'd like to note about the sound too that isn't the music. Um, I actually really enjoyed the sound effects, whether it was your time bonus sound effects or any other small minor things uh, that they might have mentioned in it. And I like those pop-ups because that pop-up sound that they would interject throughout each level actually made it feel more arcadey, which I liked because I do think that this game overall belongs in an arcade. I know it was designed as an in-home console game, but everything about this game screams arcade to me, including those uh, little sound bits throughout each level that the characters make. Yeah, the the arcade vibes were really covered on on all grounds. I I, I agree that the, the the sound only amplifies that. So that uh, leaves us one last category to go over, and that is modern appeal. Um, how well does this game play today for you, Rob? Like a lot of the games that we're going to look at, the modern appeal of a game is going to depend on what you're looking for. This game is action-packed. It's a nice-looking game for the time. The music is really good. Everything about the game looks and sounds great. The story is great, but if you want to enjoy the story, you're going to have to uh, probably read about it because you're not going to find it in the game. The controls have a really steep learning curve. So if you're looking for a game that is pick up and play, this is not it. This is a game where you have to put in the time to master the game and play it over and over again. And you're likely going to have to die and run out of your continues and then start from the beginning, which is probably a huge turnoff for a lot of players. But what I will say is if you're playing it on the Switch or you're emulating the game, is at least you can use save states. So you're not, you know, if, if you're really opposed to starting from the beginning again, which I think most people probably are, I, I do recommend the, uh, the save states there. And, and that would add to the uh, modern appeal of the g- gameplay. I would say for me, um, this game doesn't have any... Uh personal modern day appeal for me um i know i'm a little biased here this just wasn't my type of game and i felt that way out the get-go in playing this but objectively i do think that this is a game though not one i would play uh i do actually see this fitting into a younger gaming audience um i actually could see my nephew and his friends playing this game I, i i think you know, maybe the storyline necessarily isn't important. I do think the um, need to continuously attack and like that fast pace, like uh, that fast paced style, I think would fit a younger gaming crowd in, in today's day and age. So I do think there is some modern day appeal. However, I still believe that appeal in modern day uh, is still within a more niche gaming uh bracket where people that are really into games really hard games i think that they would like it in today's day and age yeah if you're if you're looking for something new and you're looking for a challenge then you're gonna like this game and if you're more casual and kind of just 
looking for an easier game or like you were saying earlier, Steve, if you're looking for more of a exploratory game where you get to kind of run around and look at things and take your time, this game's not not for you. So it's it's a lot of it's going to come down to personal preference. With that, I think I'm ready to give my my score if you're ready to receive it, Stephen. Yeah, Rob, what what was your overall rating on this particular game? So I gave this game a 4.0. For me, uh, I rated this game in at a 3.0, which in terms of calculating it all together, I was surprised it came out that high. I thought I was going to be closer to a 2, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the visuals and sound saved this game a little bit, and it comes in at a, at a 3 for me. That gives us an overall rating of 3.5 for Sin and Punishment. Um, I would say a little higher than I expected, but still a good rating for this game. Well, yeah, that's that's the interesting thing. I feel like we've had, up to this point, pretty similar ratings. But in this game here, we had at least one point of disagreement between a 4.0 and a 3.0. So it it gives... a kind of another degree of granularity for our ratings which is pretty interesting where you know you're a player who wants you know doesn't like the time limit and doesn't like the uh the heart attack associated with this game and and i i love it keep them coming so it it kind of creates an even more accurate rating i think because we're we're sampling from almost a more diverse sample set, I guess. I would say that's pretty accurate. I think uh, two different standings on this game, and it still came out with a, a, a pretty good score, and we had two very different viewpoints on this one, uh, as opposed to some of the other games that we've seen so far, or played through so far. For sure, my dude. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of the N64U podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like us on Facebook via our N64U, a retro gaming podcast page, or follow us on Instagram for all of our latest updates and announcements. Don't forget to subscribe and rate slash review us on your favorite podcasting app, which will keep you up to date on our latest episodes and help us reach more lovely people such as yourself. And if you have any questions or comments, please shoot us an email at n64upodcast at gmail.com and we'll read it out on the show. This is Rob and Steve signing off from your home for all things N64 here at the N64U Podcast. Thanks for listening. Well, you, you got to pause before the fart. <laughs>